Welcome to the podcast of the preaching ministry of LifePoint Church, led by Pastor Lane Harrison. We pray this ministry is a blessing for your life. For more information about LifePoint, please visit lifepointozark.com. For more information and resources from Pastor Lane, please visit mlaneharrison.com. Well, today, in the Gospel of Matthew, <clears throat> we're going to talk about adore him, humble obedience. And we're going to be in verses 18 through 25 of chapter 1. You know, this uh, command to love God, to adore Him, it's the opus of the Christian life, if you will. It is the crowning glory of all that we are. It is everything. And as easy as that may at first appear at times, it can be hard when it gets set against the reality of life. And that's some of what we're going to see today in this message. Let's read first verses 18 through 25 of Matthew 1, and then we'll continue. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a, ma- a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. May God bless the reading, the hearing, the understanding, and the obeying of his word today. This is Matthew's gospel account of the birth narrative of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the way that Matthew introduces this birth narrative is to show it through the lineage of King David of which Joseph was a son of David. He does this because he's predominantly writing to a Jewish audience, and he wants to show how Christ is the fulfillment of the promised king who would come in the likeness of King David. And so as he's doing this, he points out that Joseph fell in the lineage of King David, and subsequently the Christ child would come as his earthly child. So when we read this part of the narrative and Matthew introduces it, it very quickly goes from introduction to high tension, right? I mean, look at these verses in verse 18. This is how it took place. Mary was betrothed to Joseph. Now, betrothal in that day was not the same as marriage, but it also wasn't the same as what we would consider engaged today. The full requirement of marriage was already enacted, 
but not the full consummation of marriage. In other words, they weren't living together yet. Uh, They did not know one another intimately at this point, but the commitment yet remained and was waiting to be finalized. And so you can understand when Matthew says, before they came together, she was found to be with child. This is like the cover of a magazine at the checkout line, right? I mean, that's basically what we're talking about here, friends. Right out of the Bible, it couldn't get any more tense and any more gossipy or juicy. And so we can understand how difficult this was. And the child was from the Holy Spirit. We have the advantage of seeing that and knowing that. But verse 19, her husband Joseph who was a, here's what we know about him, he was a just man, and he was unwilling to put her to shame. He resolved to divorce her quietly. Divorce was necessary in this culture once a couple was betrothed. They couldn't just break off the engagement, for betrothal was such a commitment that it required or was equal to a divorce from marriage. Here's what we know about Joseph. And really, this is one of the only snapshots that we have of this person, Joseph, the the earthly father of Jesus. He was a just man, and he was unwilling to put Mary to shame. You see, in that culture, in that day, when a divorce would take place, a woman was basically banned from society. Like it or not, agree with it or not, it's not really for us to impose our culture upon it. It's just the reality. And what the Bible is telling us is that Joseph didn't want to do that. He was a just man. In other words, he was a righteous man. He was a God-fearing man. He was a, a man who considered God and his ways to be the highest of all ways in his life. And as such, in reflection of his love for God, he loved Mary. Even though this situation had arisen, he still loved her. He didn't want to shame her. He didn't want to ruin the rest of her life. He just knew that this was not going to be something that he could move forward with. And so as he considered these things and he was figuring out exactly what the plan would be to move forward, Matthew tells us that an angel appeared to him, told him that he would in fact marry Mary, Yes, that's correct. I had to, that took me a moment. It's cold. It's still cold up here too, on top of being slow. He would marry Mary because the baby in which she was carrying was conceived from the Holy Spirit. And then he said, you will name him Jesus and he will save his people from their sins. Now, understand that Mary could have come and told him what she already knew that we know she knew from the Gospel of Luke and his account, right? But what are the chances, right, of him believing what she said? No, 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 you don't understand. God did this. Okay. (laughs) All right, good. Okay, never happened before, and all of a sudden it's happened to you. Okay, good. You know what? I'm coming a little bit closer to this not being quite as private if you keep talking like that, right? I mean, you can understand why Mary didn't go plead her case What was the case to plead? And why God would want to reveal this to Joseph as well. Because he wants to lead Joseph. And and, and all of Joseph's considerations in this moment were because of his love for God. And his consideration of Mary. And so we have a narrative here 
that reminds us as it concludes. It says that when, when Joseph awoke from his dream, he knew he had heard from God and he went and he did as God had told him. He did not know Mary intimately until the baby had been born. And as the baby was born, he named the baby as God had told him to name the baby. And so we, we see a man here who, who in every way demonstrates his love for God through the obedience that he carries out. And this is the way that Matthew chose to introduce this narrative of, jo- of Jesus' birth. It's a brief snapshot into the life of a man that we know almost nothing else about. That there is no other uh, introduction or explanation of Joseph. There's only a few other references to him in all of Scripture. And, and after this time, Joseph will disappear from the record. But what we learn from his life in these few verses are such a help to us. They're a help to us to celebrate our adoration for the Christ who has come that we celebrate at this time of year, but also for us to understand our own relationship with God, His character, His nature, our propensity, and how it is that we walk faithfully and humbly with Him. I want you to see today that Jesus is God's Savior, and He is worthy of our adoration through humble obedience For we celebrate the Savior who has come at Christmas. But how is it that we adore Him with our lives? That we love Him in increasing measure in all of our lives? This situation would have created so many questions and and no small amount of confusion uh, for Joseph. When she was found to be pregnant, that would affect his whole life. That there would be nothing about his life that would be unaffected by this. And while we often think of, you know, two young teenagers deeply in love, there's a high likelihood that that's not exactly what was going on here. Mary was very likely in her early to mid-teens at this point in her life. Joseph was probably older than that. And as he was considering this, he had to consider his life. Mary knew she was pregnant. The angel appeared to her and told her, but Joseph didn't know. And, and, and of course, we've talked about how it would just be outrageous for Mary to try to explain it. And so this turn of events brought Joseph to what I would label today a hard moment in his life. Where the circumstances of life become hard. And as he would soon discover God was the one responsible for the hardness of the moment with which he was faced. You see, friends, listening to God in hard times is hard because it forces us to deal with shattered dreams, confused priorities, interrupted plans, and paths that differ from what we had planned or what we even want. And the difficulty is compounded when we recognize that the hardness of the part of this life actually comes from God. But even when hard times come from God, the scriptures demonstrate to us we must humble ourselves to listen. And that's what Joseph models for us today. He shows us what he learned and models what we can learn when we humble ourselves before God, even in the hardest times of life. 
Humbling self to listen to God, especially in hard times, is always worth whatever it demands from us because it tells God, I adore you. I adore you. And God is worthy of our adoration. Fourteen months or so ago, I preached a sermon entitled, Hearing God in Hard Times. That sermon quickly became a favorite for many uh, as they continued to request it or appeal to it. it. It appealed strongly to us because it showed how it is that we hear from God when times feel hardest to hear from Him. Maybe when God is silent or doesn't seem as though He's speaking. Well, today's message is somewhat similar to that one, but there's one distinct twist that makes the difficulty significantly more challenging for us. And here's today's focus. How is it that we listen to God in hard times when His commands shatter our dreams? When they confuse our purposes or our priorities? When when they re interpret or shall we say interrupt our plans and they differ from the path that we've planned how do we listen to God in hard times so that we adore Christ more in our life especially when we know that God is the one who created our hard times at the very least Because of his sovereignty, we know he allowed them. But what Joseph will learn is it is in fact God who brought them to him. There's really only one way to adore Christ, and that is to humble ourselves. One of the greatest writers on humility and relating to God in the Christian life is an author by the name of Andrew Murray. He's a South African pastor and theologian of the mid-19th century. And I want to read a quote to you from his book on humility where he instructs us as to why this is so appropriate for us to consider at this time of year. Andrew Murray writes, What is the incarnation but his heavenly humility? His emptying himself and becoming man. What is his life on earth? But humility, his taking the form of a servant. And what is his atonement? But humility. Christ is the humility of God embodied in human nature. The eternal love humbling itself, clothing itself in the garb of meekness and gentleness to win and serve and save us. If humility be the first, the all-including grace of the life of Jesus, if humility be the secret of His atonement, then the health and strength of our spiritual life will entirely depend upon our putting this grace first too and making humility the chief thing we admire in Him, the chief thing we ask of Him, The one thing for which we sacrifice all else. Listening to God in hard times that we might adore Him demands that we understand the role of humility. And this is what Joseph helps us 
do. He helps us listen to God that we might obey and adore Him. I want you to see how it is that humility enables us to adore God because it values listening to God in hard times in three ways. The first way is this. Humility values God's wisdom. Humility values God's wisdom. The hardest part about hard times is this. Ready? This is profound. They're hard. If they were easy, they wouldn't be hard times. I think you follow my logic there. They're beyond our control. They're beyond our understanding. They're beyond our ability to change them. But God promises his wisdom to those who humble themselves before him. Friends, if you go back and you look at verses 20 through 23 in this narrative, but as he considered these things, what do those six words tell us? As Joseph recognized how hard his times were, behold, An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. If things hadn't got weird already enough, now comes an angel of the Lord in his dreams. And what does he tell him? He reveals to him the wisdom of God in his situation in order that he might walk with God through this situation. This is how God promises his wisdom to those who humble themselves before him. Proverbs 2 verse 6 tells us, for the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. You see, God's wisdom is not just knowledge about facts or details. That's how we so often think of wisdom, really just a higher level of knowledge. But Scripture does not consider the wisdom of God as just greater knowledge more than the other. Rather, wisdom is something altogether more glorious. Wisdom, in a scriptural sense, is the divine power from God for our actions that are based on an understanding that ultimately brings glory to God in all things. Wisdom is God's power. That's what the scripture tells us. It is God alive within us. And humility positions us to hear from God that we might listen to him and receive his wisdom. Matthew records that Joseph was a just man and was unwilling to put Mary to shame. You see, this tells us one defining characteristic about Joseph. It tells us that the betrothal was was not equal to marriage. We've talked about this, but it did require divorce. And the only way he could seemingly justify uh, a righteousness or being a godly man and, and, and maintaining faithfulness to God was to 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 put her away, but at the same time, he wanted to love her. And so there's this tension between what he knows about God and what he feels about Mary. It's a real tension because because he doesn't want to uh, disobey and dishonor God and, and deny his adoration for God, but at the same time, he can't let go of what he knows of Mary. And Joseph planned to do all that he knew to do 
For Deuteronomy 24.1 told him this was the right thing to do and not right in a moral sense that you or I might evaluate ourselves, but right in a righteousness sense for which God had instructed him to do. And so Joseph, we see, was completely submitted to God in his original decision. That's the first thing we see. He was a just man, and he didn't want to shame Mary. That makes him righteous. That makes him wanting to obey. How often do we come to a situation like this, and we, we know what God says, and we know the reality of where we are, and we believe we've got to drive a wedge between the two and choose one or the other. But Joseph held the two in tension and said, I can't do that. I can't, I can't dismiss God, and I can't dishonor Mary. How do I deal with this? That's where the hardness of the situation came. And that's so often where the difficulty of our lives come. We, we feel like, well, God's going to have to take one for the team if I'm going to be able to move forward in this. And that's not what Joseph did, and it's not what we should do when we submit to the wisdom of God. Joseph said, I can't marry her because from all indications, regardless of what she's saying, she doesn't love God. Not in the way I love God. She's not devoted to him. If she's been found to be with child, not making any moral judgment of her, but rather a discernment based off what he knew God's word to say, he would have to take this action. We can scoff at Joseph. We can talk about, oh, argue this or that, or how it would have been okay, or that's not that bad, or whatever the case might be. But Joseph was willing to forego the pleasure and the enjoyment of an earthly relationship that was found to be with sin in order to follow God and to obey Him. That's righteousness, friends. And so before we throw Joseph under the bus, we must understand really what Matthew is saying to us. Because many of you feel that very tension in your own life. Because the hardness of times seem to set you in contradiction to God. To what you know of Him. To what you believe about Him. And you're wondering how this is going to work out. Joseph considered his plans. And then he chose a way where he could carry this out while honoring God and not shaming Mary and then we see God knowing Joseph's thoughts speaks through the angel of the Lord and reveals his wisdom to Joseph Joseph didn't know all the details and he didn't demand to know all the details but he clearly heard God's wisdom for his situation in how to proceed I think also Joseph is to be honored in the sense of understanding that, that he didn't put forth to God, God, I'm still going to have to answer a lot of questions in the world. Because even when Joseph found out how, in fact, Mary became pregnant, how many times is he going to offer that to people in the world as an explanation for what is? Yo, Joseph, like she was on the front of People magazine. I saw this, man. What are you doing? Well, you see, God, but <laughs> uh-uh, just... Just as Mary wouldn't, Joseph's not going to offer that explanation either. Why? 
Because the vast majority of the population isn't going to buy into it, right? So Joseph had to, hear me, receive what God said to him and even absorb the reality of the consequences of what God was doing in regards to it causing him public shame, ridicule. I mean, just imagine what the culture who would not regard Mary in her situation would put on Joseph and the religious people as well. Don't don't throw them out. Well, at least the church will accept him. Are you kidding me? They may have been the first to kick him out. But he humbles himself. Why? Because he heard from God. He humbles himself to regard righteousness as revealed in God's word of greater value than any conflicting doubt, question, desire, even at the expense potentially of his reputation that he may have held. You see, friends, humility values God's wisdom above all. Humility trusts God's word as right, even when it seems most difficult to believe because it rests in God's righteousness through Jesus Christ. Listen to the promise of God's word. Psalm 25, 9 says, He guides the humble in what is right and He teaches them His way. Do you know who it is that never learns the way of, the God, uh, the way of God? It's the one who won't walk in His way. Because if you won't walk in the way in which God leads you, as Joseph does, you'll never learn the value of his wisdom. Proverbs 3.34 also tells us that God gives grace to the humble. When we humble ourselves, God gives grace to us that enables, empowers us as he leads us to walk in his righteous path. A lack of humility, though, always means living outside of God's wisdom. When we refuse to humble ourselves to the Lord, we always choose rather, rather than humble ourselves, we always choose one of four wrong motivations. And a lot of times we confuse these and end up operating out of more than one. But let me just offer these to you. When we say no to God's will and and His word and what we know in His word and go, God, I'm going to figure out another plan. Here's one of the four wrong motivations that we'll choose in preference. The first one is the motivation of self-righteousness. And this is where we bolster our pride by believing that you deserve better than what God has given you. You see how easy Joseph could have done this. God, I I don't want to put up with this. I I mean, she's a sweet girl. I love her and all. But you know what this is going to do to me? You know what this will do to my reputation? What this will do to my business relationships? What this will do to the way people view me in the church? And I mean, I just don't know, God, that I can do this because... And everything you say after because is a bolstering of personal pride based on self-righteousness. Secondly, if you say no to God and humble yourself to Him, you may choose self-preservation instead of self-righteousness. This is when you deflect your understanding because of your pain by justifying your actions based on your hurt. We, we know this. We, we sometimes hear others say, you know, hurt people 
hurt people, right? I'm hurting. I want someone else to hurt. I don't care why. I don't care what in reference to. It just make me feel better if somebody else hurts. And we think in some other way that if someone else hurts, it'll help alleviate our hurt. But it really doesn't. It only heaps more hurt upon our pain. But when we get into a self-preservation mode, we want to guard ourselves by casting it on someone else. A third wrong motivation is the motivation of self-reliance. And what happens here is we rely on self-condemnation as a means of attempted redemption or self-restitution. So, so we, we trust in ourselves, but we do it in a pretty jacked up way. We take the condemnation of not following God and walking in our own way, uh, uh, trusting in self more than trusting in God. And we say, I'll bear this weight such that it will bring me to a point of restitution for the situation or redemption for me and we allow ourselves to believe that what we will do in response to it in some way will justify ourselves and remove the condemnation. That's self-reliance. The problem is it never does. The condemnation never leaves. The fourth wrong motivation is what I'll just call simply religion. (laughs) Religion. You see, the first three are based on the understanding of self as the highest value. But what religion does is it doesn't put self first. It does, but more in the background. It's operating in the background, you know. And what's in the front is some false idol, some false doctrine or false ideology that we purport. And what we do when we operate out of the wrong motivation that's religious in its nature is that we rationalize what it is that we want or we prefer. And we say, you know, this is not that bad. Actually, we put God's name on it. And we say that it's not that bad, though we know it's not explicitly what we believe God wants or what God is saying to us. God, you've said this, but you know, this is really good. I've seen it work for another friend or I've seen it work in other situations. I'm going to go this way. And the problem is God's told you to do this or to go this way, and you've chosen this way. And you've put his label over it. You've called it whatever you needed to call it to fit in your religious box. And then you believe that once everything turns out okay by your plan, God will then be forced to accept it. That's what religion does. It causes you to strive to make up and put in His place what God alone can do for you. And you also say, you know, I'll just commit to work a little harder to make it worth God's time. Friend, you don't have enough time to make it worth God's time. You don't have enough hard work in you To beckon upon God to recognize what you're beckoning against Him. Every motivation that is rooted in self always leads away from God. It not only fails to grow your love for God, but it always ends up with you blaming God. As well, because when you use a self righteous, a self preservation, a self reliance, or a religious motivation, It can only be your fault or God's fault. And you've already chosen for it not to be yours. Humility that trusts God's wisdom rests in Him as the only way forward. 
and through that adores him. You see, Joseph demonstrates humility in his motivations in dealing with the tensions of his decision. Verse 19 says, he did not want and he had in mind. Right? He, he did not want to, 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 to disobey God or to shame Mary. And so he devised a plan as best he understood God's word. And it still seemed to be a lot of tension in those two, right? His decision revealed his motivation for both loving God and loving Mary. Even though he could have blamed either one of them, right? I mean, he could have blamed Mary initially, which I'm sure there was at least some indication of that in his thinking and in his feeling. But then when he found out what the angel of the Lord said, he could have went, whoa, what? This isn't her fault, it's your fault. But he didn't do that. He didn't offer his own goodness as a free pass to avoid the suffering by getting angry at God for what he was doing to him or by hating himself for not doing everything perfectly. He didn't point blame by becoming bitter or angry at Mary or at God. He just he showed compassion for Mary while maintaining a high commitment to his obedience to God. You see, no matter how bad his hurt or how painful the decision, he proceeded in the way he knew was of highest love for God and greatest love for people. And friends, that's the opus of the Christian life. And when you do that, you trust that God will speak. That God will act. You see, adoring God through humble obedience will always lead us to honor others. But it may also mean we have to separate from them. That the future will change from what it currently is. Adoring God demands God's wisdom. God, I can't do this without you. Right? That is a a prayer to adore God, but it's also a plea for His wisdom. God's wisdom is the knowledge of his will regarding what we are to do, though we may not agree or like it. And it is joined, that knowledge is joined with the authority and the power to go and do it, whether or not we think we can or not. That's the wisdom of God, friends. And that's what God promises us when we humble ourselves to him. We adore God when we humble ourselves to value his wisdom above all else for life. The second way that humility values listening to God or enables us to listen to God and adore him is that humility values courage and boldness to obey. Look at verses 24 and 25. It just simply says this, Joseph got up and he did what God told him to do. Do you know why this whole situation was created? Matthew tells us, next to the last sentence, all this took place so that the will of God could be completely fulfilled in what His Word had stated. God is working out His will. And He wants to work it out in us. And and, and even though Joseph got up and did what God told him to do, it took courage and boldness because it was much harder than his own plan. You see, obeying God always demands courage and boldness. The weak at heart don't do God's will. Why? Because it just won't sustain them. 
And I'm not saying we don't walk into God's will feeling weak in our heart. Stay with me here. I want to show you where it is that courage and boldness come from because they come to us through humility before God. If you think God wants you, if what you think God wants you to do doesn't require courage and boldness, I want to tell you to get back on your knees, go back into prayer, and keep listening because the first time you dialed the wrong number. If, if obeying God, specifically in hard times, friends, if listening to God seems that there is an easy way out, mm-mm. And here's the question we need to know. Where is it that our courage and our uh, 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 boldness come from to obey? Where, where does that come from? Listen to Isaiah 57, 15, and the promise that is given through the prophet here. For this is what the high and lofty one says, speaking of God. He who lives forever, whose name is holy. Here's what God says. I live in the high and holy place, but also with him who is what? Contrite and lowly in spirit. To revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive The heart of the contrite. You see, friends, when we humble ourselves before God and we tell God, God, I don't know. God, I can't because God. And we simply lay out our heart to show God, not our unwillingness, but rather in a spirit of willingness, our inability. I'm telling you, God opens the floodgates of heaven to pour out himself into you. Because it is the contrite and the lowly that the Holy One regards. The simple answer where we get our courage and boldness from is humility. For courage and boldness are strength of heart. That by very nature is what they are. Joseph was not superhuman. This isn't a passage that goes, man, Joseph's a good dude. I need to be more like Joseph. No, but it's a, it's a life that says Joseph trusted God. I need to trust God because this is what God did for him. This is what God does. This is what God will do for me. Joseph is not our aim here. He's pointing to the one who is. And it's the one who comes to us in our moments of hardness and our, uh, 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 our, our bowed lowness of humility and fills us with himself. You see, humility before God revives the spirit and revives the heart to live with courage and boldness. Not that is rooted in us, but that is rooted in God that we might be in his presence as we obey his command. You see, without Christ filling our heart, friends, courage and boldness are always absent to obey God. It will not be there. Rather, we become full of self. And this is so indicative of religion. We become full of self to do what we think God has said to do. And and that usually means we cut a lot of the Bible out and we frame the other parts in big, bold print that we're good at obeying so that we we can forget the other parts that we don't like. When self is fueling our obedience, our life, right gets determined by self-righteousness. What's good for us? We feel good about ourself. We feel good about anything that serves self. And boldness simply becomes a self-confidence to do what we want in the way we want to do it, when we want to do it. You see, some of us, it's not a matter of doing what God wants us to do. It's a matter of doing it when God wants us to do it and tells us to do it. As if we have a better watch or calendar than God has. 
And, and what happens when we operate out of self-confidence, we may believe it's boldness to serve God, but we actually look down on others because they don't ever serve Him as well as we do. They're weaker than we are. In some way, they don't measure up. And so when, when we don't live up to our standards with this, we become humble. Oh, man, I didn't do very well. I, I, better, be, I better be humble. But we're not confident. We, we walk with a great amount of insecurity. But when we walk in this way of self-reliance and we succeed, we, we, we don't just become confident, but rather it fuels our pride yet again. And in albeit a different way, yet nonetheless, we end up walking away from God, thinking we're living under the umbrella of God, but rather trusting only in self. You see, Christians are not shielded from self-righteousness as a motivation for life. That's why we must daily set our heart and mind on Jesus to empty of self and be filled with Him. And that's what humility does. Humility empties the heart of self in order to be filled with the Lord Jesus Christ. Do not assume that level of false humility to think less of yourself, but rather understand what true humility is, is just simply thinking of yourself less. When Christ fills our heart through the gospel, we are simultaneously, hear me, bad enough that he had to die for us. That's our humility. Yet, loved so incredibly much that he was glad to die for us. That's courage and boldness. That's the gospel, friends. That's the gospel. Courage and boldness to obey never come from self. They come from trust in God. And when Christ fills the heart, boldness and courage to obey are always present. Humility valid. Values courage and boldness through the gospel to produce increasing joy from God and an adoration for Him through our obedience. The third way that humility helps us listen is that it values God's reward as the greatest for our life. We see this in the end of verse 21 and the end of verse 25. He says this, She will bear a son, you shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. There's the greatest good, right? That, that was the very hope that Joseph, that Joseph held out. And then at the end of verse 25, and he called his name Jesus. Called his name Jesus. What does that mean? That means that Joseph gave a name to a baby out of faith. Out of faith. That God had told him to give because of what he believed about God. And he would raise that baby in accordance to what God had given him as a commandment. The promise of God's greatest blessing is found in our humility. Joseph named God's only begotten son. Right? What a great joy to enjoy. The glory that awaits when we humble ourselves to obey God in the smallest pleasures pales all others. Consider the enjoyment that scripture promises that humility will bring. Proverbs 22, 4 says, Humility and fear of the Lord bring wealth and honor and life. I don't know about you. Yes, I do. I don't know anybody that doesn't want wealth and honor and life. We may define it differently and have to learn that God wants to bring it differently to us. But I'll still take it. Psalm 37, 11 says, But the meek will inherit the land and enjoy great Peace. When Jesus begins his sermon on the mount, he promises that the earth will be the inheritance of the meek. 
When we strive toward and we grow in humility, we honor God's reward for our life as the highest value in all of our life. For the reward of humility will not be found in earthly terms, friends, because it cannot be measured in temporary standards. Humility honors the Lord Jesus by following his dependence on God. This is what we see Philippians 2 verses 5 through 11 shows that Christmas in fact is God, the eternal creator of all that is, humbling himself. The one through whom, by whom, and for whom all things were created humbled himself. Not only as God, but as man. Humility is the very essence of Christmas. Humility honors the Lord Jesus by following his dependence upon God. It is the present disposition of life that brings God's eternal reward in all of life. And until you humble yourself before God and experience his grace, you can't know his joy, his goodness, his blessing, or the pleasure that he intends for you. But hear me, God exalts the one who humbles himself before him. He lifts us up in our humility and he honors us just as he did Jesus. You see, God didn't just honor Jesus as a one-off wonder, but rather because he demonstrates to us, he honors those who are humble before him. We adore God when we humble ourselves to value his reward as the greatest in all of our life. Jesus, friends, is God's Savior, worthy of our adoration through humble obedience. You see, friends, Christmas is the celebration of God's incarnation, the humility of God become man. How is it that we could dare celebrate Christmas as Christians without humbling ourselves to listen to God? It would be the antithesis of this holiday, not the essence of it. We adore Christ when we humble ourselves to listen and obey Him first and confess that He alone is worthy. You see, friends, God owes us nothing, but He gives us everything when we humble ourselves and obey in Jesus. This this is the great reward that God has for us. Listening to God in hard times is almost never hard because we can't hear Him. But as I have found in my life, listening to God in hard times is hard because I don't think I'm going to like what he says. Because I don't think I'm going to agree with what I hear him saying. And it's at that moment we must make a choice, as Joseph had to make a choice. Will you humble yourself or will you live for yourself. If you want to adore Christ, you must remember his love as your defining motivation to live in humble obedience. If you want to humble yourself before him, you must trust his love for you to listen to God. Christ is worthy of all of our adoration through humble obedience. I'm going to ask the worship team to return. And as they return, would you listen to me in these last three sentences? 
Baby Jesus, born in a manger, reminds us humility brought the Savior to us and leads us to the Savior. James instructs us in his letter, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. And Christ will be adored in you.